And with that absurdly ominous music, we begin episode 35 of the Book Exchange podcast. This episode entitled Go Big or Go Home. I am John Lovell here with you as always, coming to you from Maryland, joined by my co-host, twin brother, fellow book nerd, and all around great guy, Jude Joseph Lovell. What's up, Jude? Guilty as charged, except maybe the last part. How's it going? <laughs> yeah, you're guilty there, too. You're guilty all the way around. Uh, okay. <laughs> going well. Um, you know, little personal note, uh, Jude and I are both fathers of now college-age children, so we both uh, in this past week dropped off uh, a child to college. Um, first time for you, Jude, so congratulations. And uh, I wish my lovely niece the best there as she heads into her first year of college. But, um, yeah, it's been kind of a crazy week. It's the end of August. Kids going back to school. You know, we're transitioning to fall. It's a busy time for everyone. But we're still here with another show for you all for, with the Book Exchange podcast. And, uh, yeah, so uh, have you been hanging in there with all the craziness in your life? Yeah, thank you. Thank you for for that uh, mention. Yes. Um, you know, strange feeling. John, uh, for those who don't know, sort of led the way between the twin brothers here. Somebody had to do it, John, into fatherhood and some of these rites of passage. So he's got right two, son, two sons in college. And I, yeah, it's a, it's a weird feeling, but a, a, I don't know, a good one. You know, it's it's nice to I like this time of year. It's nice to get into the fall. I'm uh, I'm pretty hopeful and confident uh that my daughter will do well you know god willing yeah so yeah yeah so and uh, and you with your sons too they seem to be doing well also so it's a it's a it's a strange time but a kind of a happy one exciting one yeah and a bunch of people you know sending off uh people to college so we give a shout out to all those students who are starting their new school year whatever level they're in and uh, if any of our college age children happen to hear this we say hello to you so yeah, uh, yeah episode 35 um it's called go big or go home and we're going to explain what that means in just a minute uh, i'm actually going to let you do that so this is you know as we've said before jude and i bat, bat around ideas all the time for uh, episode topics we get ideas from listeners you know outside as well we talked about at least one of those last week so this is one that uh, Jude suggested, and um, we thought it would be an interesting one, a little bit, maybe a little bit of a departure. But I think our listeners, if you hang with us, you'll hopefully find you'll get something out of this discussion. Um, so yeah, we're going to explain that in just a minute. But I think um, I don't think there's anything really administratively we want to say. So you correct me if I'm wrong, but I think we're kind of ready to just you know jump into the first part of the show. No, I agree. Send us your feedback. Use the anchor site for voicemail or email us your feedback, bookexchangetwins at gmail.com. But yep. other than that, we can roll. Yep. And I'll say again, send us your suggestions as well, either for books you might want us to cover or, or for topics, whatever, or for uh, segments that we could have on the show. We're always looking for ways to improve the show, like just about every other podcast that exists. So uh, all right, so why don't we just take a quick break, and then we'll come back and we'll talk about what we've been reading lately. Sounds good. 
All right, Jude. Um, so this is the part of the show where we talk about what books we're currently into now. Usually the guy who's hosting says, uh, what have you been reading? But I'm, I'm not going to do that. I'll start. Um, okay, good. Uh, you know, what, what the hell? So um, I am cur- I'm currently reading. I, we've talked about this a little bit, you know, before recording. But I'm currently re- re- reading a, uh, easy for me to say, a short story collection from Miss Annie Pruel. Um, we've talked about her on the podcast a few times. She's come up here and there. We may talk about her more in the future. Who knows? Um, but I am reading. So she's got a sort of a trilogy of, of uh, volumes of short stories all set in the state of Wyoming. Um, it's come up on the show before, collectively called Wyoming Stories. Uh, I read the first volume, which is called Close Range, several years ago but not that long maybe three to four years ago and they they really they blew me away with the writing and also the subject matter i've said it before on the show but i'll say it again really quick um we my wife and i and my oldest son well my family to some degree spent a little bit of time in wyoming we went on a vacation there once and then my oldest son did a gap year program out there so we i've been out there about four times um, so I have a little bit of experience with the state of Wyoming and at least a, not, not as a native or anything, but at least, you know, I know what it looks like, kind of got interested in it. I read a book about its sort of geological history, believe it or not. Um, yeah, I've, I, I just find it, I got really sort of fascinated in, in the state of Wyoming. So when I heard that Annie Pruel has a collection of, has a, a number of collections of stories set there, I was really interested. As I said, the first one is outstanding. Annie Pruel is just an outstanding writer. Her writing is very muscular, you know, visceral. Um, when I read her descriptions of the Wyoming landscape, they they evoke all kinds of memories and kind of feelings that I had when I was driving through parts of Wyoming that I wouldn't have been able to articulate anywhere near the way she does. But it, it just makes, you know, reading these stories that much more enjoyable for me. But you certainly don't have to have been uh in Wyoming or spent much time there to enjoy these stories. She's just got a really, she's just a fabulous writer. There's a lot of kind of acidic humor. Uh, there's just some really incredible salt of the earth characters. And she really kind of submerses you in, in some of the subcultures, I guess I'll call them, or I don't know what to call them, but just sort of the lifestyles that you might find out there. I think you and I talked once on the, on the show about, a. Uh, about a story called The Mud Below, which it gets very deeply into like the sort of the rodeo subculture and people who work on these kind of the, the rodeo beat, you know, as riders and how beat up they get. But anyway, this collection is called Bad Dirt, and which is just kind of a great title. And uh, I'm really enjoying it. Again, it's, it, I, don't, I think the novelty of the first collection, open, close range, excuse me, uh, really kind of blew my mind so i'm sort of a little bit more used to her writing style now but uh some of these stories are just real crackers i know you would love it but uh she's just an incredible writer i'm really enjoying this collection and i'm definitely going to read the third uh volume in in the in the trilogy i guess which i think is called find the way it is or something like that Mm -hmm. but uh, anyway anyway just just incredible stuff i know you would love these stories i think you read close range and really loved it so yeah that she's just the highest recommendation i can give for in terms of just a writer in general 
but these these Wyoming stories are really they're really something. Yeah, I mean, uh, yeah, I read Close Range. It was really on your recommendation. Struck by it, you know, the moment you read it, and uh, talked about it a few times over the years since then. But I had already read a few of her novels. Then earlier this year, remember, I read this epic novel by her called Barkskins. Right. She's definitely one of my favorite female writers, but she's one of the quick, quickly becoming one of the, you know, the best American writers we have out there. I think. You know, and her writing is very, like you said, it's a visceral. It's it's unsentimental, you know, and it's uh, it's poetic, but it's also harsh and brutal at times. And uh, yep. she said, you know, I share your recommendations. She said anything she's written is worth is definitely worth reading. And, and it's just interesting how, you know, identical twins have very identical life experiences up to a certain point. But, you know, as you know, John, after a certain point, it doesn't continue that way. So Wyoming to me is Mars. Basically, I've never been there. I've never been to the American Badlands at all. So and I've always wanted to go, but I've just I've never gotten there. So I have no frame of reference here, Donnie. <laughs> Sorry. Little little uh, cinema, <laughs> little big Lebowski reference just for, <laughs> for those who know. On this show, that's always welcome. So, <laughs> no, but I have no frame of reference for it. So, so, and it's just interesting because it makes it a different reading experience. You know, it's, it just is, you know, it's like if you've been to England and you read about England, you know, you have your memories. And if you don't, you've got to use your imagination. So it's different. And that actually, you know, makes sense with Oregon because today's episode is kind of about actually reading experience, you know? Yeah. Uh, I mean, not to go too far there yet, but it's about, you know, what it's like to, to read in a way. So that's how today's episode is a little different, but anyway, Annie Poole's writing, you know, at least in in Wyoming, it's just, it's not the same thing. So, you know, I have a different experience than yours. And yet, you know, we both share a great admiration for her skills. So yeah, that's really. And I'm going to pass the ball to you in, in, in 30 seconds, but I should say that most people, you know, if you recognize that name, you'd recognize it from a book called The Shipping News, most likely, which was, I think she won the Pulitzer Prize for, or some kind of major award, uh, and it was made into a movie and such. But strangely enough, I've never even read that book. Um, so, you know, if you're not sure who we're talking about, she is the, the author of The Shipping News, which is a book I really want to get to from her. But anyway, this show, the topic of today's show is not Annie Pruel. It, she may be a topic of a future show. Who knows? Um, but f- for now, we're going to find out what Jude's been reading. Okay. Well, I, I'm reading a book by a woman as well. Uh, another female author that I really admire, but very different. Um, and it happens, happens to me from a different country also. So I've returned to uh, Hilary Mantel, who is best known as a uh, historical fiction writer. She has a lot of works of historical fiction. Um, but the most famous ones are the trilogy of books. We've talked about them on the show that she wrote about Thomas Cromwell and uh, medieval England um, around the time of Henry VIII, which are all great books. And, you know, at least one of those books might come up again later today because some of them are big. But anyway, uh, so she's very, she's most famous as a novelist. She has, uh, I think, one, maybe two, but I think it's just one collection of short fiction. But some like eight or nine novels and uh, most of them are historical fiction, but not all of them. Some of them are a little bit more contemporary and Hilary Mantel is a really interesting 
writer. I won't go too far into it, but she's very, very, very sharp. She's also somebody who doesn't write with a lot of emotion. Um, she writes uh, very, um, she's a Serbic kind of intellectual and she pulls no punches in fiction or nonfiction at all. Like she's very um, sort of British in a way, but she also turns out she studied the law and she's also very, very skilled as a novelist and just has this incredible wit and can be really piercing if she wants to. But the book I'm reading is a quite a departure. It's a memoir and it's, it's called, it has a great title. It's one of my favorite memoir titles. It's called Giving Up the Ghost. And it's about her life. It's kind of like telling the story of her life, but unfortunately, she's just a really interesting person. Most of her life has been afflicted by varying illnesses that have apparently were very hard to diagnose. And they were all, it sounds to me, reading the memoir most of the way through it, that they were all sort of gynecological in nature or um, related to her, you know, her female uh, reproductive system. And it left her infertile. But she also had a lot of very difficult experience with the doctors that didn't either didn't believe her or said that, like a lot of her illnesses were uh, psychosomatic or, um, you know, et cetera. Or she was just patronized by most of the doctors that she's dealt with, it seems, over many decades. So she writes this book. It's not bitter, per se. Sometimes it brushes against it, but it's very penetrating. And it's kind of about her and her inner life and her writing life while dealing with these afflictions that not a lot of people believe were as severe as they were until she was like sort of proven to be right. Like for just a quick example, I'll, I just read a passage, you know, this morning where she said like, you know, she was talking about a particular illness that afflicts, you know, the, the female reproductive system. And she was like, such and such illness. I can't remember the word cause it's long. Such and such illness is like, you know, normally pretty hard to diagnose, but it's very hard to diagnose if you have doctors that don't hear you and do not listen, you know? So she'd write, write things like that, you know? Yeah. Um, but she, I don't want to, I don't want people listening to think that she, it, it's, it, it's like cheek or snark or like um, bitterness. It's kind of just like clarity. And that's also very characteristic of her fiction writing. You know, like she writes a lot about, for example, the manipulation of power and she does it in a way that strips away emotion and kind of just lays things at their bare bones. And that's what this memoir is like. So it's a I'll just leave it there. But it's a very it's a fascinating book. It's about her writing life. It also touches on the spiritual life. Unfortunately, she's kind of not a believer, but she was raised in a very strict Catholic um, school system and has a lot to say about that. But she does it with elegance. You know, and uh, it's the kind of book that really makes you sort of scratch your head and think about what you know. So uh, really fascinating book. It's called Giving Up the Ghost. Well, I'm really I'm glad to hear you're enjoying that as much as you are, because um, I think I gave you that one. And I knew you were and I did that because I knew you were such a big fan of Hillary Mantel. But I don't think you had ever read other than maybe an article here or there or, or a book review, you know, anything from her that was nonfiction and you know, I know you well enough to know that if you get really interested in a writer, you want to know something of their life. And, and as we say, almost every show about how they do what they do. Um, so I know those are interesting. So I, and, you know, I didn't realize there was such a medical component to this, to this, uh, 
uh, memoir or whatever it is, but I guess that just, you know, part and parcel with her life. But uh, I have yet to read Hillary Mantel, but I, I probably, I think I will. I probably will just because you've talked about her so much and just, you know, when either of us talks about a writer that much, the other tends to get to them eventually. So I think I probably will, at least with one of the Wolf Hall books. But, um, well, as you said, um, you mentioned two books in there, or two um, works. One is the Wolf Hall books by Hilary Mantel. The other is uh, a really big, thick novel from Annie Pruel called Barkskins. And I was thinking, you know, either one of those might might uh, come up in our in our topic today because what we are talking about well I, I guess this is where i should rather than blather on myself I, I think this is where i should kick it over to you and um why don't you kind of set the table for us and our listeners and just describe what what you know why we've called this episode go big or go home and what we're going to get into today Okay, I will. I want to make one more qu very quick side note about Hillary Mantel, though. And I've said this before. I know I've said this to you, but she's also an extremely interesting interview because she has a very, very thick and interesting accent. It's not like most British accents you've heard. And she has a manner of speaking that's different than other writers. So if you ever get the chance to hear her in an audio interview or a podcast, you should jump on it. It's really fascinating just to listen to her speak. Um, trust me. So uh, anyway... <laughs> Um, yeah. So, John, um, big books. It's kind of an interesting subject. And, you know, uh, as I sort of alluded to before, it's I, I think this uh, the, the reason why I'm sort of thinking of this episode as something like slightly different is because, as I started to say, it's like almost like nerding out even more than we normally nerd out, you know, like because I, you know, to me, <laughs> this possible. Book, <laughs> how do you, you know listeners may not have known that that was possible but it is that's the nature of the of the brothers you have hosting the podcast here but i see this and i i talk to you about this a lot offline it's like about reading like you know sometimes we talk about you know books and what the and what the books are what's in the books and the themes that are in the books sometimes we talk about books brushing against movies bush books brushing against other art forms this is about to me we are going to talk about certain books but it's almost about reading as an experience like really sort of unpacking what reading a book is like in a way you know and i'm going to try to sort of articulate why that sort of led me to suggest this this episode about the big books so there's a couple things that went into it um just by way of setup. And then, and then I'm, I'm going to have, I have a few questions I want to ask you um, after I make a few notes just about how I got here. I'll ask you a couple of questions just meant to wet the discussion. You and I can sort of bat them back and forth. Maybe I was thinking maybe part of the time, half the time. And then in, in the latter half of the, the episode today, we'll start talking about different books, specific titles, you know, without going too far into them. So that's going to be my MO. Does that work for you? Yep. That sounds good. Okay. So why, why are we doing an episode on big books? You know, like, does that mean we have to do an episode on small books or medium-sized books? Well, it's interesting. So for me, there's, there were two kind of factors. Um, and some of this predates the last like year and a half, you know, so I'm going to talk a little bit about the whole pandemic and what that, how that factors in, but 
some of this predates it. You know, I'd say going back many years, you know, I sort of had in the back of my head that, you know, I, I would tell people, I told my kids all the time going back four or five years, I would say like, I really like big books. I would kind of say that to anybody who would listen, <laughs> you know, whether yeah. I was talking about my, my habit of reading Charles Dickens books or just reading classics or even like, you know, big nerdy books in like the sci-fi or fantasy vein. I just kind of realized I liked reading long books and I thought it was a, a different thing than reading other size books or reading shorter books. Then I started to write for Silver Sage and I had an idea sort of percolating in the back of my mind along the way that someday I might write an essay having to do with big books. In fact, I was like thinking my working title was kind of go big or go home. And I thought I might write an essay just about, you know, what it's like to read big books and maybe say, you know, sort of nudge, nudge people towards reading bigger books if they're not into them just because of the length. So, you know, this was an idea, like many of my ideas for fiction or nonfiction um, in my writing life, sometimes they really knock around the back of my head. Some of them are very old. You know, they've been there for 20 years or more. So the, that was kind of doing that, you know, rattling like, like a pick, like a dice and like a Yahtzee cup, just kind of <laughs> rattling around back there. Yeah. And then I, you know, I continued to read books and my thoughts would, and those would continue, contribute to my thoughts on the topic, et cetera. But then, um, then we hit the global pandemic, John. And I started at one point early on, it occurred to me, this might be the time to write my essay about big books because I started thinking, and I actually started to do this, although I didn't quite stick with it. But early on in the pandemic, I had this idea that I was going to read a lot of big books in a row. I thought a lockdown is when you should take on big, big novels. It just seemed like the right time to do it. You know what I mean? Right. And, and I, uh, think, I think a lot of people like, or a certain subset of people had the same thought. Yeah, I think so too. And I think I might've even seen an article too about, you know, oh, I'm reading some big classics during the, during the lockdown, et cetera. Right. And then also, I, 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 I've never said this to you, but I have, have had this kind of in my pocket. Somewhere along the way, I saw an article somewhere that described a short story by Haruki Murakami. We've talked about him before from Japan. Um, he wrote one of the big books I really didn't like, <laughs> but maybe maybe that'll come up later too. I don't know, because we've already talked about that book. It's called The Wind Up Burn Chronicle. But anyway, he, he actually has a short story, John. I don't think we've ever talked about this. It's called Sleep. And the topic of the story is basically there's this woman who decides for some reason that, you know, sleep is kind of not necessary, you know, or she, she doesn't need to do it anymore. So as a way to take advantage of the time that she's not going to be sleeping, she decides to take on the book Anna Karenina. And she uh, had, had been like trying to read it for years uh, by Leo Tolstoy. It's another big book. Yeah. And she just decides that instead of sleeping, she's going to finally press through and finish this big tome, you know? <laughs> and uh, so that came up somewhere along the line. And I thought, well, that's pretty interesting, you know, because it's like uh, somebody actually sort of made a story sort of about the same topic. So and, and anyway, you know, I was kind of thinking of all these things. And then it just led me, you know, to the thought of, you know, well, why do I like big books? And what do I think is different about it? And that's how I kind of got to the point of suggesting it as a potential podcast. So 
I'll take a breath before I answer my first question, but um, those were some of the thoughts that kind of led into it. I don't know if you had any thoughts yourself after I suggested it, or do you want me just to continue with my question, or do you want to make a comment? Um, maybe just, I don't have too much to say, but I think, uh, you know, at first when you suggested the topic, I thought, well, okay, you know, that's, that's, a, that's sort of a, maybe an eccentric topic, but the more you've talked about it and about how really it kind of gives us, um, a, a chance to, you know, talk a little bit more about just the experience of reading, which is a little bit different than what we normally do rather than just get like recommendations. We may have some recommendations along the way today. But just talk about kind of reading as as an activity and maybe what you might get from it, why it's why it's uh, enjoyable, why it's valuable. You know, I think this discussion might get us down some of those roads a little bit. So that then I sort of got intrigued by that idea. You know, it's almost like a little bit of a more of a philosophical episode in a way. Um, but right. I think they'll be up here to you know we're definitely going to mention particular titles and writers, and I I think there'll be enough here to. To, for uh, listeners to kind of have have their appetites wetted, so to speak, and uh, they may come away with some. Like you said, you mentioned that you know some people will, you know, and we talked about this in the Intimidators episode. You know, I'm going to get to this book someday, but you know, I just look at it and I just recoil because it's so damn big. So maybe maybe we'll nudge some people to kind of overcome that particular fear and uh, dive into you know what may be a deeper pool. So, yeah, why don't you um, – I think that's more than enough setup. Why don't you uh, – if you have some questions for me, fire away. Okay, I will. And I'm sorry that I, I keep sort of contra contradicting you here, but there, but there is one there is one more point I want to make or I want to just throw – before I hit you with the first question, that I think it would be helpful for our listeners for this episode to kind of consider. I like what you said, because I do consider this episode a little bit of a suggestion episode, because I think we're going to go in a lot of different directions, what we tend to do, you know, so yeah. we're going to hit a lot of different big book titles that, you know, people looking for suggestions might want to keep in mind. But also just keep this little nugget in mind as we get into the sort of questions and talk about this further. I also it also occurred to me somewhere along the way, and it's probably occurred to John maybe more times than me that another thing about big books that I think if nothing else that we've said up to this point in the episode is kind of a, I mean, you know, we're not trying to, you know, coerce people to reading big books or anything like that, but you know, I personally would recommend that they do. And a, another thing to keep in mind or reason that you, that it might be useful to read longer books is that it occurred to me that big books and the experience reading them of reading them is kind of in a way like for me, sort of like the ultimate antidote to like the news cycle speed of the current culture, Twitter, you know what I mean? But you know what I'm trying to yeah. say? Like the, uh, the yeah. soundbite nature, the Twitterized nature, the 24 hour news, the access, um, nature of our current mode of existence big books are kind of like the polar opposite of that so mm. i throw that out there as just something to consider as we move into the discussion here so well i have to, i have to briefly i think that's a great point and uh not one i had explicitly considered but uh yeah i'm, I'm really glad you brought that up 
as an kind of an underlying, I don't know, motivation or factor uh, that may go into deciding to take on a larger book. I think it's really important to sort of resist the phenomena you're talking about, about just, you know, the speed of information the like soundbite culture, uh, you know, uh, throwing out a little witty little ditty on Twitter and then 8 million comments back and forth that, that mm -hmm. is how especially younger generations are kind of, it's sort of the mode of discourse <laughs> that they're used to. And it, it, it harkens back to one of the reasons we did the show in the first place and like to talk so much about the value of reading, which is that it helps you to reason through things and to work things over your mind, ideas, conundrums, dilemmas, exactly. ethical, yes. moral, and large books are a way to kind of immerse yourself in that sort of uh, intellectual and mental exercise. So I think that's a tremendous point. I'll leave it there, but just really important great insight to bring up so yeah why don't we go forward yes let's do that so john my first question to you is i'm going to make you go back in time and i didn't let you think about it ahead of time so you might need a minute but that's that that was by design and i didn't really do a ton of it myself because i'm going to talk about this question too what john is like one of you don't have to come up with just one What's one of or what's the earliest big epic book that you can remember really sort of falling into finishing, feeling like you accomplished? What would you say if you had to think about that? <laughs> okay, first of all, a couple of comments just on that question. Number one, we love we love time travel on this show. Like we get in the time machine all the time. And, uh, <laughs> That's that's part of what makes this show fun, I think, for us doing it and hopefully for people listening to it is that, you know, we hearken back to you know, what we, we may have been reading in the 80s, for example, you know, we're of a certain age. Um, so that's always fun. And also because we're identical twins and that's a, obviously an obvious element of this show, I've already been there in my mind, you know, oh, funny. <laughs> what you're asking. Um, I kind of knew we would get there one way or another. So, yeah, I, I can answer that. Um, I don't know if it's the first, you know, really big book uh, that I, I dove into, but the ones that jump out to me, you know, as, by the way, you know, just to, as a comment that I want to make, you know, as we get into this discussion is I really didn't for when I was thinking about this topic, I kind of excluded things like trilogies or obviously omnibus volumes, you know, mm -hmm. where it might be five novels in one or like Lord of the Rings, for example you could take as one big epic book, but I, I, I didn't consider things like that. I mean, they may come up in passing, but I'm, I'm thinking about like a single book, you know, uh, it might be part of a series, but um, a single book that's like really immersive and kind of epic. Right. Okay. So that's, that's just where I'm coming from. It may not be where you're coming from. So thinking about books like that, you know, I really, I'm sure there were some that I read like, and I'm also discounting what we may have had to read in, in high school, like Tale of Two Cities or something like that. But the first kind of really long books that I remember getting immersed in and feeling a sense of sort of accomplishment when you got to the end, because that's, you know, that we may touch on that point. How there's this like feeling like you've almost scaled the summit when you get to the end of a really long book. Yeah. Uh, uh, and I think we're going to have some of these in common, but I think of things like Pillars of the Earth, 
Ken Follett. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that you have to go to the Tom Clancy books because he's probably like the first author that, you know, I really read where you, you his new book comes out and it's like eight, 900 pages and you go, oh man, <laughs> that is a doorstop. Like Red Storm, <laughs> you know? Yeah, um, Red Storm Rising. It's like eight, 900 pages. Yeah. So, <laughs> and, you know, he immediately jumps to mind. So Ken Follett, um, Pillars of the Earth, which is uh, one of the earliest, like really big epic novels that really grabbed me and, you know, just wouldn't let me go till I got to the end of it. Tom Clancy, you know, uh, there were a couple of his books in a row, like Red Storm Rising, Clear and Present Danger, Without Remorse. Those were all really long books, but, you know, Patriot Games are shorter. But, you know, uh, I remember just being sucked into those. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the other guy, you know, and we'll, we'll touch on this. You already have, I'm sure. But like a lot of times you find these kind of long, epic, you know, books in, in fantasy or sci-fi genres or sometimes yeah. So I remember getting really into a few very long books written by Clive Barker. Mm-hmm. One, one was Weave World. I mean, it, it might be like five, 600 pages, but it felt like at the time, it felt like this insane epic. So one was Weave World. There was a, another one that, that went on for quite a while called The Great and Secret Show. And these are sort of long, involved, fantastic, you know, sort of novels. But those are the few that I remember, like, that really kind of in a way sort of proved to me that I could read like an eight or 900 page book. They're not like, I, I got to like more distinguished classic titles like Dickens or Victor Hugo a little bit later. Yeah. But, um, you know, uh, those of the earth, I think is like seven, 800 pages. So it's a pretty long book. Oh yeah. No, I think it's longer than that. I think it's like eight or 900 pages. Yeah. Yeah, so those are that that would be my answer. Those are some of the earlier ones that I remember really getting, you know, sucked into their vortex. You remember Magica by Clive Barker? It's another big book. Oh yeah. Forgot completely forgot about that until you just mentioned it. But yeah, that's another one that I remember we read. Although I don't remember a single syllable of it. <laughs> I re- I remember a tiny bit of it, but uh not, yeah. Um yeah, so for me, it's interesting, like um for me, some of mine are the same. Definitely Red Storm Rising is one of the earlier big books that I read. I remember reading that on a family vacation. And that's a huge book, like on a, like in all in all ways. You know, like it's like eight or nine hundred pages, but it's also episod- episodic in nature. And then the episodes are all over the world because it's basically World War Three global war. You know, <laughs> yeah. um, it was just a huge sprawling. I mean, sprawling is like, you know. The best word for that book. I actually bought a used copy of that book not too long ago. I'm dying to read it again just for the nostalgia. Um, oh, wow. Yeah. Um, but yeah, like the Pillars of the Earth is one for me. Also, like, so on our 50 Years of Reading episode, we discussed kind of how we got back into reading after we ditched it as teenagers. And yeah. I told a story about how one of my friends got me back into reading. And one of the first books I read after the very first, because I was able to remember the very first book I read to kind of plunge back into reading. One of the first books I read after that, it was my freshman year of college, was called um, The Talisman by Stephen King, but also it was co-written with another horror writer named Peter Straub. Yeah. Um, and I remember reading that and feeling like I really got, it was a huge book also. So I, I don't remember it well. It had to do with werewolves. There was a werewolf in it. <laughs> and like, 
crossing between different dimensions and stuff like that. But I remember kind of plowing through that book and just feeling like it was a really sort of wild ride. Um, Tom Clancy, definitely. To, I, go ahead. Sorry, not to be confused with Coco by Peter Straub, which. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> that might come up again. <laughs> Another big book by Peter Straub. Um, yeah. that, that I read in college. Um, the, the Weave World by Clive Barker was definitely one of them. Um, and I don't remember the exact length of that. Although I should say, John, that I was thinking, and I probably should ask you this too, but it just wasn't as interesting as a leadoff question. For me, though, like it's interesting because you might not feel this way, but for me, big book territory is kind of beyond, I put my threshold around 400 pages. To me, 400 or under in the 300s is kind of a different thing. But, yeah, okay. and 400 might be low, but I, I feel a book is getting to be sort of large or even almost kind of epic in stature when you get over the 400 mark. So that's kind yeah. of my thought. I don't know if you had a different thought. No, I, I didn't really have a particular, uh, I hadn't really thought of a particular length that kind of crossed that threshold, but that sounds about right, four or 500. Yeah, and I some of that is my own experience because I've written books that are just about 400 pages, but they were, you know, long hauls and i just you know i think about the idea of writing something five or six hundred pages would be a whole different thing i've never done that but yeah um anyway um all right well so i'm gonna move on to my next question because i actually have three just to uh, you know to keep to keep things going so jumping back forward john the time machine can you talk for a few minutes just i'm just curious about this because i don't even know if you and i have actually really discussed this i might have talked more blathered more about my point of view than than you have about yours but when you take on and by the way i should have said this earlier also to me we kind of didn't necessarily fall on the same page here but to me this discussion could be about nonfiction or fiction um because i have some nonfiction titles i want to bring up later um john you were thinking when we earlier discussed it that it was kind of more applicable to novels and works of fiction which i think is kind of true in one sense but I definitely have some big nonfiction books that I wanted to bring up as well. So um, anyway, um, but my next question for you, John, because you can, if you have a comment about that, you can weave it into your answer to this okay. question. So okay. jumping forward to the present, John, you know, at 50, almost 51, and, you know, you have such a formidable reading life. What is your mindset? when you go to take on a, a really big book these days, like, you know, what, um, do you have a different state of mind if you're taking on a big novel versus a big nonfiction book, or do you have any kind of like almost mental preparation, you know, if you're going into a big book or is it really just kind of, you know, let's dive in and just treat like any other book. Hey, that's an interesting question. Um, and one of these questions that maybe, you know, most of us wouldn't have consciously thought of before, but, you know, I'm enough of a book nerd. I mean, hell, I co-host a po podcast about book nerdery. So I'm enough of a book nerd where I probably have considered that before. Mm -hmm. um, the way I would answer that is I think there is a little bit of a different kind of feel for me personally. I would not split it between fiction and nonfiction, though. Uh -huh. For me, and, and and this, I think this, yeah, it's an interesting question because I think this has evolved as I've gotten older. So, of course, one of the things that you're very aware of as you get older is that your time is diminishing. 
you know, right. like your time's running out. <laughs> yeah, your favorite band, Buffalo Tom. That's a that's a joke because I like them better than Jude does. But <laughs> and other people have said this uh, in other ways. But yeah, you know, for some reason, one of their songs, you know, the guy writing their songs is about the same age we are, and he's there's a line in one of their recent songs that said it says now the road ahead is shorter than the road behind. Mm-hmm. And I heard that. I was like, when he sings, I was like, yep, that's, I can relate to that. That's, that's sort of where we are. Now, what that has to do with your question is, you know, you just, you, you're just a little bit more conscious of how much um, time you may have left and how you want to use it, especially as you get older, you, you brush up against mortality um, not to get too deep, but, you know, in my particular case, without getting into it, you know, um, someone in my family was gravely ill. So, you, you know, you think about the span of your life. And so as silly as it may sound, and I don't think it's a conscious thing, but, you know, you kind of want to choose wisely. At least I do. Yeah. You know, what I'm going to read for a really long book, because I don't want to take a month and a half to read something that I'll get to the end and say, I got nothing out of it, you know. So one thing is I try to choose, I guess, wisely, you know, what I'm going to spend a lot of time in reading. It, it needs to be something that I'm particularly interested in or something that I wanted to read or a writer I wanted to read, you know, um, that I feel rightly or wrongly is going to be, quote unquote, worth, you know, devoting uh, three weeks, a month or however long it takes to read it. Right. So that's one. Um, that's one way to answer that. Another way to answer that is to say I, I kind of. And I've never really expressed this before, but I sort of take a like a mental or a a mental deep breath before I start reading a really long book. You know, mm-hmm, like, mm-hmm. I have to, and I don't think I always did that. Like I know I didn't do that before reading Red Storm Rising. I was probably just like, "Wow, this book's long," and then just started reading it. But now, for some reason, I associate with being a little bit older. Uh, you know, I just kind of go, "All right, well, I'm going to be," you know. <sighs> let's like, I'm going to be reading this book for the next three weeks to a month. So yeah, uh, let, you know, just let that sink in, <laughs> you know? And, um, and that, but that's pretty much it. You know, I just kind of like tell, tell myself that. And then my hope is that whatever the subject of the book is, be it fiction or nonfiction, that it's, you know, interesting and compelling enough to keep me turning those pages and to want to, and, you know, I will say, we'll, we're definitely probably going to get into this. Like, I also feel like the older I get, uh, the, the harder it is to convince me that a book is worth spending a month, you know, especially if it's a, a fiction book, because if it's this long, if I'm looking at it and the story takes, you know, I'm 200 pages in and it's really just kind of grinding along, not really, doesn't really have its hooks in me. I got to be honest, I'm looking at the next 600 pages and going, you know, related to my first comment going, do I really want to give another, you know, three weeks to this book if it if it doesn't have its hooks in me, you know? And I I'm enough of a of a reader that I typically don't put a book down. Like I'm kind of want to give it the benefit of the doubt and just kind of see where it goes. But I know a lot of people, you know, I'm married to one of them. I know a lot of people who will be like, look, if this book isn't grabbing me after 150 pages. You know, I'm tossing it and I'm moving on to something else. So I right. think all those, all of those things kind of weigh in your mind, maybe subconsciously when you take on a really long book, at least they do for me. 
So that's, I'll leave it there. But that's, that's sort of what I'm grappling with going into reading the long book. All, while also being conscious of the fact that if it, if it is, if it is gripping, if it is immersive, uh, it can be a really rich experience as well. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I mean, uh, that's kind of what you're hoping for, you know, when you take on kind of any big book. Right, but so, I think it, I, I think it just last, I think it should be recognized, and I know you recognize it, but like, there's a there's a barter happening here. I'm 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 pledging a month of my time, but reading time, to uh, to this book. So uh, subconsciously, like I, you know, it better be worth it. I really uh, I hope I get something out. Like I grappled with this, frankly, with Owen Meany. Yeah, you know, that was a pretty long book, and I'm reading it, and that you know, there were long stretches in the middle of that book where I said, I'm just not interested. I'm just not that interested in this Christmas pageant. For to yeah, spend five right. pages on it, you know, like what? Where are we going? So yeah, yeah, anyway. yeah. And, and Owen Meany was interesting. Owen Meany also contributed to me suggesting this. You know, we said last time it was kind of a segue into a more philosophical discussion of longer books coming off of the Owen Meany episode. Yeah, because I I did some of that grappling with Owen Meany too, which to me is interesting because you and I don't we don't quite share the same point of view going into big books um, in a way we do it in a way we don't. It's kind of interesting to hear you answer the question. Oh, so we're identical twins, right? We're sitting at the same place, <laughs> you know, like literally, you know, along the road, you know, like one of us has less time than the other, but otherwise we're at the same, you know, we're at the same point in the, in the race. Right. Right. <laughs> yeah. But for me, and you know this about me and other people that who know me well know this, but, so you talked about how you generally don't put books down. I don't either. I always, I, you know, and I know plenty of people, especially as they get older, who are basically have the same attitude that you do, which is that, I guess you could say like, you sort of feel a little bit more, I mean, stingy isn't the word, but sort of selective with your time. Yeah. You become sort of aware that your time, you know, you have less time, you don't want to waste your time, et cetera. I, I have the same consciousness of time running out. That's for sure. You know, like when I look at the hourglass, it probably looks, you know, the same way as it does to you. Right. Yeah. But um, I, especially with novels, but n not even really with novels, just with any big book. Um, when I take them on, I don't, I'm not as conscious though of like potentially wasting my time. And I've always tried to, I, like, I almost always give the book the benefit of the doubt. Almost always, like in my entire reading life. Yeah. You know, it's probably on one hand the amount of times I just literally abandoned something. I don't like to, you know, and I've had like arguments, like fun arguments with people about they're like, why would you do this? My mother and one of our sister-in-laws and other people. And even my wife a little bit. And I, I, I'm always thinking like it's interesting to me because I wonder if it's like has some it, it either has something to do with my approach to books and reading and like a literary reason or it has something to do with my psychology because <laughs> i'm like you know one of my psychological foibles is you know i don't want to offend people <laughs> you know and i i think there's some component of me that like sort of feels bad if i don't read all the way to the end of the book you know which yep. which sounds ridiculous but it's definitely true in my case you know i think there's some kind of subconscious factor in there whereas a lot of people are like you know i'm not going to give that two thoughts you know my time is my time me i yeah. think you know this person there's got to be something in here and it's it's me that's missing it 
you know? Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I'm going to go all the way to the end yeah. and figure out what I'm missing. I mean, that's just true about me. I know it is. You know, a lot of people would hear it and be like, well, that's ridiculous, but it's true. So that's one of my thoughts going into a big book. But also, um, of course, as you know, like, as I've said a million times, I read books from the point of view of somebody who writes books. And so I'm like, I'm curious to see what they do, where they take it, how they work it all out. And that including a nonfiction book, you know, but and then the last thing I would say, just by way of going into a book, a big book is. I also take that, you know, you said you sort of take a breath. You know, I, I don't know if I would have put it the same way, but it amounts to the same thing. Um, well, I noticed that sort of when I'm going into a big book, you know, first of all, I'll, I'll start thinking about it ahead of time. Like, I think it's about time for me to take on a really big book now. You know, I'll just sort of start to get like a little itch towards reading something more immersive. Mm-hmm. And I've, that happens to me regularly, you know, several times a year. I mean, it's actually happening to me now. You know, I've been thinking recently, you know, I need to take on a big book, but I'm also coming up on my annual Dickens Fest, of course. Of course. And, you know, and I have some other big books I want to read. There's a Game of Thrones books I want to read, blah, blah, blah. But I still, I think independently of whatever's on my shelf, I still, I will have that feeling that I notice. I do, I sort of want to shift gears and take on something longer. And the other thing is I just kind of tell myself that when you enter this book, you got to just like settle in, you know, settle into it, let it work on you, give it time. <laughs> you know, and I kind of sort of almost like subconsciously coach myself to like, you know, give the book its due and give it time to sort of work its magic. So it's just kind of interesting, you know, that um, I just you, you sort of need an, enough years at it to recognize some of these patterns, you know. <laughs> yeah. But um. But I talk well, to my kids all the time about big books. I say, like, you know, you know, if you take on a big book for school or if you want to read one, you just got to kind of you got to give it time, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Well, I have a comment about that, about that particular what you ended on there. But why don't we just break off for just a second, then we'll pick it up again. OK, that sounds good. John, you got a comment? Yeah. So I have a comment on that, which is I think, you know, there are different types of readers, right? And I think, like, I would characterize you as a particularly patient reader. You know, some readers are just not that patient. Maybe it's part of their psychology. Maybe they're not that patient in general. Or maybe they're patient in other ways. You know, maybe they're a surgeon who can do brain surgery for 10 hours, but don't want to read a book that's more than 300 pages because uh, they've got better things to do. You know, who knows? But in your case, you can hear me okay, right? Yes, I can. Okay, so in your case, very patient reader. And of course, there's also, and we've talked about this on many podcasts recently, so we don't have to beat into the ground, but um, you just, you cannot separate your reading from your writing, you know? And Mm -hmm. I... Not even even close to saying that you should. I don't think you should. It is what it is. But, um, you know, you part of your reading experience is is about, you know, uh, uh, how writers do what they do 
and you're kind of like subconsciously, I think you try to learn. I think we try to learn from books in different ways. Um, you know, there's general learning. Like I just have, I just want to learn about subjects I don't know about, for example. Whereas what you're trying to learn from a novel is not just what the novel's about, but it's also about how to, how you go about writing a big novel. You know, what are some of the techniques and, you know, that might be used or what are some of the practices, et cetera. So I think that that goes into your own reading because I know you well enough at this point. I know that's a part of your experience and I know that that is part of what part, not all, but part of what drives you to read these larger books, you know, uh, is because yeah. John, now, can I interrupt you for a second? Well, sure. Go ahead. Yeah. Cause I know you're making a comment, but I just want to say like, yeah, you're, you're right about that. And for me, like the world of, the literary world is almost like a sphere, you know? So half of the sphere is reading and half of the sphere is writing, you know, or it's like a yin and yang symbol for, for me. Yeah. So that yeah. factors into the way I read things. So go ahead. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, that's a good way to put it as a way to kind of, uh, you know, give it concrete form. So I know that's part of it. And the other thing I was going to say was that you mentioned um, how you get that itch and, you know, maybe it might be five, six times a year or whatever. The number is well i just i get that itch too from time to time but i, I could never you know it's, it's not as regular i could never quant, quantify it like that i would just say every now and then you know because i'm you know we're both reading constantly that's a constant in our lives yeah it will yeah. go away unless we go blind and then we'll figure out how to read via braille or something else damn or, right <laughs> um, so it's never going away never i tell my kids that i mean all the time, sure you too. There's never going to be a day where I'm not reading something. It's just never- like our father, John. Just like our father. Right. And it's just part of our, you know, DNA, I guess. But um, so, you know, given that that's the case, every now and then I'll be like, you know, it'd be cool that, you know, I haven't read a big, long book. You know, and I think of them as novels. We can get back to that maybe. We should get back to the fiction versus nonfiction question. But, um, you know, in the context of this discussion, I'm more apt to think of a, of a novel, a fiction book. And every once in a while, I'll be like, you know, and for some reason, these books, and this is another point that maybe we can touch on later, but they, they often, maybe the majority of them happen to be historical novels of some kind, you know, because they immerse you in some other period or some other uh, place. Or, or So they're often that kind of thing. But the, what I'm saying is, you know, I haven't immersed myself in another world um, in a long time. And it would be, it would be interesting to get sucked into like, you know, the, the American West in the 1880s or uh, medieval Europe or whatever it might be. Right. Mm-hmm. So I will get that hankering from time to time, but it's not, I wouldn't say it's a something I get, you know, every two, three months. So that was the, that's, that might be a slight nuance or difference between you and me. But, uh, yeah, it's interesting. And I think we're seeing that this topic, as with most topics that we decide to talk about, you know, it can really go in many directions. Yeah, I was afraid we weren't going to have enough to say, but it's the opposite. <laughs> yeah. yeah. But I don't um, think anybody would criticize the, these two co-hosts as not having anything to say. Uh, <laughs> how much value it has is debatable, I guess. But Yeah, no, I don't know. It, d- it doesn't feel that way to me, but we'll let, we'll let the listeners decide. Um, 
So, yeah, actually, I said I had three set of questions, and then there's a couple other questions I want to ask, but that leads us into the next part of it. But I noticed is, you know, we're sitting here talking. My second and third question are pretty similar, actually. I didn't realize that before. So my my second question was, what's your mindset going into a big book? And is it different from fiction than nonfiction? And then my third question was, do you see reading a big book as the same kind of experience as reading any other book? So that it's kind of similar, but like yeah. maybe just really quick, because I want to ask you about, I want to segue into specific titles, John, and I have a way to set that up if you don't mind, but I want to ask you, like you said, would you contrast what we've been talking about with like, if you're going to take on a 300 page book or let's say a short under 200 page book from NYRB, something, the New Yorker U press, is it a different mindset there? Uh, I can answer that pretty quickly. And I, uh, anybody who knows me <laughs> knows I am not a runner. I am no runner. Uh, you know, I, <laughs> wish I, I wish I was more of an athlete. I wish I was in better shape, but I am one thing I, I have never done really is running. I hate it, but I'm going to use a running kind of, you know, uh, metaphor here to answer that, which is that I think the only difference, and I'm imagining cause I'm not a runner, but I think the only difference is if I were a runner, you know, if I, if I'm going, if I know I'm going out for a mile or two run, you know, you sort of have one, you know, you don't have to think about it much, let's say, or you, if you're a runner, you just kind of go with the flow. You've done this many times, but if you're going out because you're training for a marathon and you know, you're going to, today's run is going to be 15 miles. I think you're going to be mentally preparing yourself a little bit more for those 15 miles. And I, that's kind of, that would be the only sort of difference in mindset that I could think of, you know, if I know I'm about to sit down and read a 900 page book, I'm conscious of the fact that it's 900 pages and I'm not doing anything different, but I'm just kind of like preparing myself for a longer run, you know, a longer haul. And so just on that level, I think there is a little bit of like sort of subconscious mental preparation going on okay, I'm going to be living with this book for a long time. You know, just, you know, it's a, it's a marathon, not a sprint. Just get ready for that. But that's about it. Yeah. Yeah. I think for me, there is a slight difference, but I guess your analogy is good. That's probably the only way I could describe it. You know, there's a little bit less, uh, I don't know if preparation is the word, but definitely thought, you know, I tend to go into a longer book, you know, sort of thinking about it a little bit more before I open it, I guess I would say. And with a, with a shorter book, it's just kind of, let me dive in here. It's You're sort of aware that it's going to get into whatever it is pretty quickly. Whereas it is a different mindset with a, with a big book, you know, you you do that settling in, you're kind of like, well, let me let this story sort of unfold, you know? Um, but with a, can you still hear me? Yep. Okay. But with a shorter book, you kind of, you almost don't worry about that or don't spend much time thinking about that as much. You just kind of dive right in and it tends to, you know, if it's going to do anything, because there are some short books that don't do much, <laughs> right? you know, um, it's going to happen fairly quickly or not happen, you know? So, and then yeah. if nothing happens, you, you say to yourself, well, at least it's not going to go on for very long. <laughs> yeah. yeah yeah so yeah there um, there may there may even be kind of a reverse pressure like if you pick up a book and it's 140 pages or 125 pages 
you know, it's almost like, well, I mean, we're going to get to the meat of the book uh, pretty quickly here, and it's going to get its hooks in me pretty quickly, and it's going to move along. You know, you might kind of self-conscious, you know, subconsciously think that too with a shorter book, and maybe that's true and maybe it isn't. But there might be. All I'm saying is there might be a little bit of an expectation going into a shorter book as well as going into a longer book. Yeah, you're right. Yeah, it's a good point. And then just, I just want to make a couple quick points. These are thoughts that just occurred to me about reading big books before we get more granular. Just, and I guess these are kind of bullet points. There's a little, a little bit random, but um, other things that kind of occurred to me along the way, and I, it was just part of the process of preparing for this and thinking, that, why am I into big books? And what am I going to say about why I'm into them. And another, so I did a little Googling, John. It was kind of interesting about just like, you know, why read big books or why are big books important? Just stupid questions that you throw it on Google. And it was interesting because almost everything that, that came up as a hit had to do with primary education, you know, as opposed to being an adult and reading big books. And one of the, one of the themes that kept coming up and everything that I got to, I was like a little frustrated. I was looking for more adult material, but nonetheless, I ran into a lot of stuff about just curriculum and, you know, syllabi and all this kind of business. And it kept saying the same thing, which is an interesting point, which is re reading a big book, I guess, for at, at younger ages is better or uh, more helpful, almost in a subconscious way to sort of gain, um, just absorb a sense of things like syntax, logic, you know, the development of thoughts, larger themes, and the yep. way, literally the way the language weaves together and the, the, literally the way the language operates. And the point that I kept seeing come up was that, you know, a bigger book is more instructive for younger readers to help do some of those things, you know, which sort of stands to reason, but it was not something I had thought of, you know, leading into this. And yeah. the only other thing I would say is I did think of this sort of on my own as sort of sort of um, self-evident, but, um, and we've kind of been saying it all, the, all along, but like if I had to put in sort of one word, one of the things that you learn from the experience of reading big books, whether it's fiction or non-fiction, it would be rumination. So this goes back to how it's like countercultural, right? You know, mm -hmm. not like being immersed all the time in the soundbite universe or the Twitterverse. You know, it's like a conscious, when you read a big book, you're making a conscious decision to sort of go zag in the other direction away from all that and to take on things like themes and to, to ruminate, you know? Yeah. And that alone for me is always going to make the experience of a big book worth the time. So, yeah. Uh, and those are two interesting points and it makes me, you know, like, like my my youngest child happens to be a daughter. My, my daughter uh, doesn't read a ton, but the books that she constantly reads, and I mean, she's rereading them now for like the fourth time are the Harry Potter books, <laughs> you know, mm -hmm. like they're like the only books that she does read, but she re she reads them. And, you know, you know, as you know, there are seven of them. They get longer and longer as they go along. Right. I mean, she's probably in her third or fourth cycle of reading them, which is a little hard for me to understand, but, makes me feel somewhat better because you know these are long books with sustained narratives and hopefully some of what you just described is is getting through to her as she uh 
as she plows through them. So, oh yeah, makes, yeah, makes you feel a little better. Yeah, yeah, no, I think that's great. Yeah. So, uh, okay, so John, um, simple question, maybe not so easy to answer, um, and it's different from asking you. Here's what I'm not asking. Give me your favorite big book of all time. Okay. But but my but it's a similar question, but it's not exactly the same. So I'd like you, I'd say maybe talk about three of them really quick. Can you talk about some of your most, your best experiences? Experiences with a really big book over the years. It can be like way back towards the beginning. It could be more recently. Um, but like, you know, just the experience of being in this big book, you know, there was nothing about it that was like, you know, laborious. What are some of your best experiences in reading a big book? And you can talk about the specific titles if you have, if you can come up with them. Okay. So we're talking about kind of recently or just all time? All time. Okay. So, okay. I have to think about that just a little bit. You know, one of them, one of the, it happens to be like I would say within the last five years. Um, but, and it's a controversial one because I know some people who read it and found it incredibly boring, but I found it incredibly rich. And that was Middlemarch by George Eliot. Yeah. Now, that's a really long, I mean, that's probably 800 pages and it's, and it's very dense and it's written, you know, it's, I, I can't remember exactly when, you know, it's like either 18th or 19th century prose I think it might be 18th, but I, I I should know that, but I can't remember. But anyway, it's pretty ornate prose. It's a challenging read. Uh, and I went into it exactly as I described before. It, it was a book that I'd read about many times, kind of felt like I quote unquote should read, but was totally intimidated by. Yet when I picked it up, I was sucked in immediately by its prologue, which is very dense and kind of theological almost. And that's a, you know, a lot of people would be, totally turned off by that but i wasn't it was like the opposite for me i said i thought immediately like wow this book's getting into some deep water and i like that and um I, it kept me it's not like a riveting book or anything. it's not like a thriller it's not anything like that but i think it's profoundly wise and insightful about life basically and many of the uh, major uh, things we all think about whether it's uh finances and how we manage our money to you know what are we doing with our lives our lives vocation our life calling how are we spending not just our money but our time what is a meaningful life it's about all of that stuff and i found it to be just very rich and rewarding and insightful and so for me that book really appealed to me the story is pretty modest. It's about, you know, a, 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 a village in England and kind of the different people live there. And there's a woman who's in a difficult marriage and, you know, uh, there's a, a pastor or, a you know, parson. And it's just kind of, you know, about their lives in this town. But for me, it's like it, it had so much to say on, on a deeply human level that it was a very rewarding experience for me to read it. Uh, kind of on an intellectual level, you know? So, mm -hmm. and that's one thing for me, like I, and we've talked about this before, but I, reading is uh, maybe more than anything else for me is an intellectual activity, maybe more than it is an imaginative one. 
although the lines between those are pretty blurry. But um, uh, so for me, I, you know, I found that to be a really rewarding, long book. Another one that you and I read together, which is, happens to be older too, but it, it is a book called um, The Betrothed. Um, I I'm blanking on the guy's name. Manzoni? Something yeah. Manzoni? Yeah. Alessandro? I'm not sure. Yeah. And it's, a, it's an Italian novel. It's a historical novel. I think it was written in the 17th century, but it was written about maybe the 16th or 15th century. It takes place during the time of the plague. Um, and I, I found that to be a very rewarding read, but again, historical novel, lots of characters, kind of big sprawling story, but it had that book in particular has a lot to do with, um, Christianity and Christian compassion. And it ends with a long sort of quote unquote set piece in, uh, or passage, uh, where, uh, a cardinal is caring for people who are suffering from the plague. Um, that was a little bit that was somewhat of a slog, but a, a rewarding experience for me. Mm -hmm. um, trying to think of others um, on the nonfiction side. I, I have to, I have to bring up David McCullough because he has some really long books about either biographies or about different subjects that I find to be really rich and rewarding. And that's a different experience because he really just immerses you in the, and the details of the time he's writing about, and you learn so much about what's going on in America or wherever he's writing about at the time, what's going on politically and socially. So he really takes pains to kind of give you the context for the subject that he's writing about. And uh, it's just, it's immersive in a different way. So, you know, the John Adams biography is one of the most fascinating biographies I've ever read. Yeah. Um, his book uh, about, the building of the Panama Canal, for example, which is incredibly immersive, the path between the seas. Um, and just, it's just a really deep dive, but he writes and his pro style is very engaging too. So it's not boring. So those are some examples, you know, I'm, I'm, I have a feeling that there are probably others kind of in a more quote unquote genre direction that I'm not thinking of. Um, yeah. But those are a few that come off the top of my head. No, those are good ones. I mean, cause I remember, you know, just because I know you so well, I remember you're, you, you know, while you were reading almost all of those things, don't remember with McCullough quite as much. But I can, you know, I remember you being really enthusiastic. And those, those, when you talked about those books at the time, that the pages were just flipping by and you were really into them. So that makes, that makes a lot of sense. Yeah. You know? Are you going to answer that yourself? Yeah. Yeah. I am. And then, and then I've got one or two other questions too. Um, okay. Although you can step in with anything you want to say at any time, really. But just to give you a couple, I mean, I can't, I can't answer the question without bringing up Winter's Tale, but I, by Mark Helpern, but I brought it up many times. So yeah. I would just say, you know, people maybe go back to the very first episode um, and listen to the, called the books that made us episode one of the book, book exchange podcast, but it was just an epic fantasy. But in terms of my best experiences with a big book, there's definitely one of them. Um, you know, um, set in New York City, and I just really loved that book, and it was a really foundational book for me. Um, but but Mark Helperin, the guy who wrote that book, actually has written several books that were long, and he kind of made uh, a, a sort of a part of his mo was to write these epic works of fiction that had kind of that were sort of long in scope. 
Yeah. And he wrote one that was very like sort of off, off beat and way off the beaten track. Like even if you know Mark Halperin, like you wouldn't necessarily, you know, he's not famous for this book, but he wrote one that was like a comedy called Freddie and Frederica. I think it came out in like the early 2000s. And it was about these uh, British royals, the royal couple, but it was, you know, just a very thin send up of Charles and Diana, you know, mm. um, and it was about them coming to America. It was a very farcical setup. They were tired of being chased everywhere. So they came over to America and disguised themselves as just regular Americans. <laughs> and in, in order to get away from the glare of living in the royals, and it, it turned into this kind of epic Mark Halpern style sweep across the United States over several years. They did like several different jobs and blended in, you know, at one point she was the Diana character was like a waitress, you know, <laughs> and it like it went across the country. You know, the, there was a whole section that took place in the American West where the guy was um, the Charles figure was like a fire watch guy, you know, up on a tower. And then there was this huge forest fire that he helped fight. And it had this like huge sort of heft and scope, you know, and it was really strange and really kind of bizarre. And at one point, um, Charles becomes an advisor to like a politician who was like, kind of like a Bob Dole figure. This tells you how long ago this was Bob Dole when he ran for president in the nineties. Yeah. Um, and it was just weird, but it was like a fun book that, and it had this long heft and then it had this super dramatic, like, you know, sort of callback at the end about this ritual that Charles had to go through to be sort of anointed as the future king of England. And it had this like, it was, it was just a really weird book, but I always remembered it because it was it was big. And, and I thought it was just weird and crazy enough to be engrossing. And I always remembered it, you know. I don't know if it was my, I would, definitely wouldn't call it my favorite big book, but it's an example of the kind of book that kind of has stuck with me, you know, with an epic's sort of scope like that um another one on the nonfiction side i won't talk about it too much because i talked about it already in episode seven our favorite biographies but i have to mention this too and it's this huge biography i read of vincent van gogh that was written by two gentlemen um oh, yeah. and it was just it was just so i but i bring it up now because it was so big it's like 900 something pages in the heart i have it in hardcover and it's just a doorstop um, and I'm not an artist, you know, um, but it was so detailed and rich sort of probing into every, every phase and, and in great detail of Vincent van Gogh's life. And there's something about him just sort of struggling through his life without selling a single painting, you know, and the psychological turmoil that he went through everywhere he turned that I, I thought it was just riveting. And that was before you get to the appendix, which has to do with a sort of a new investigation of how he died. And it comes to the conclusion that he didn't actually shoot himself, that somebody shot him, you know, in the woods without anybody witnessing it. You know, and that was sort of like a new theory <clears throat> at the time this book came out, um, which was around like 2011, 2010, 2011. And I thought it was just riveting throughout that book. I didn't care that it was that long. So that was definitely one of my best experiences with a really long nonfiction book. And um, a third one I might bring up is also one that I've mentioned before. 
um, but not a great length. Uh, it was in some of the, it was in our episode about the funniest book. And I've brought this up to you a number of times called Skippy dies. Yeah. By this guy named Paul Murray, an Irish writer. And I, that book was notable to me because it was so much fun. Like that book was a long book that said in this English boarding school among these, like, uh, you know, uh, like sort of high school teenagers, you know, and it had to do with the, like the title says somebody dies in the beginning and then it's an investigation as to exactly the events that led up to his death. But it was also kind of goes in different tangents about um, history. And there was one professor at the school or teacher at the school that's obsessed with World War One. There was this whole plot line about World War One. But I remember it being just long and consistently funny. Like I really laughed reading that book. <laughs> wow. And I was just really impressed by how it did that. And um, and it, and um, especially like the banter between the teenage boys, it was so probably helped to have been a teenage boy at one point, you know, because it was so, so true to life to me. But I remember being so impressed with how funny and engaging the story was. And it still had like an epic length, like it wasn't a short read at all. And there was kind of a mystery in there, too. So those I, I chose those three because they're not, you know, even though I've sort of mentioned all three of them, they're sort of off off the beaten path with their long books that I remember. And then of course there are many other books that I had a good experience with. Um, so those are some of my titles, but um, now do you want to comment on anything I said, or do you want me to just go on with my other question? Um, I guess in the interest of time, you can go on with the other question. I mean, I could comment on, on all of them, but uh, yeah, why don't we just keep moving? Okay. So this is kind of self-evident, but let's talk about it. What are some of the worst and I know we discussed this a little bit with a supposedly good book I'll never read again, um, which was episode nine. But for example, one of those for you was Pride and Prejudice, which was not a long book. So are there any really memorable epic books that you just struggled through um, and it, it, it just it, it just didn't work you know, the whole time? What are some of your titles there? Uh, boy, I didn't. It's funny. I didn't prepare as much for that question. Um, there are a couple that, I mean, I just said, like, I, I struggled pretty hard with Owen Meany, which is, yeah. I mean, it's not hard to read, but it's not like struggling with Anna Karenina, which is not easy to read, you know, and, or something like War and Peace. But it's just, I felt like so much of the book was longer than it needed to be that I really, and I also felt, as I said in our episode, like there was some, definitely some factors in that book pretty important ones that were annoying to me or irritated me, like the central character, the fact that none of the characters I really liked, the fact that everything Owen Meany says, literally everything, see, you know, is, is, is given this sort of gravitas, like it's more important than anything anyone else has ever said. And, you know, it also seems like he's shouting. So there are di different factors that made that. I, I had a tough time getting through that book. Um. I had a really, I got to say, like, I know a lot of people, smart people say this is their favorite book ever and stuff, but I, I had a tough time getting through The Brothers Karamazov by Dostoevsky, which a lot of people have had a tough time with that. Uh, it's a really fascinating yeah. book. It has some incredible passages in it, but it's just so long and, and uh, kind of dreary that it is, I did find it a challenge. Um, yeah. But, that's not a bad book or obviously, but uh, I did find it to be a real challenge. Um, 
I read a pretty long novel recently, actually, uh, by Patrick White, the Nobel laureate um, from Australia called The Tree of Man. It was my first time reading one of his books. Yeah. Man, based on that read, I'm not I'm not running back to Patrick White. I mean, there's an example of this is like a 700 page book, I want to say, or somewhere in the 700s long life story of kind of a couple and you know the, you meet them when they're very young and they when they're just starting out together and they get to the point where they're quite old and they have children and grandchildren and but i got not much happens in those 700 pages it's just like kind of i kept waiting for something to happen and it's just sort of like their life out on the 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 prairie in australia or whatever Whew. that was a that was a tough <laughs> book to get through. Um, so those are some examples. Um, kind of blanking on any more at the moment. I know there are long books that I've struggled to get through. I don't know why I'm I can't really uh, remember anymore at the moment. But those are that's a few. You probably have well, more. Yeah, and I you know I sort of hit you up uh, with that, but I was just sort of curious <laughs> if any you know really stood out. And then for me, there's a, I also have a, I've got a sort of longish list. I would just mention a couple of them. Um, but I have to, it's funny because one of the things that, one of the books I put on mine was also the Brothers Karamazov. Um, yeah. I'm glad I read it. You know, it's like, you know, Russian novels we talked about um, at least one time. They're hard. They're, they're really hard and they're filled with hard material. Yeah, and they can be very bleak. And the Brothers Karamazov was definitely one of the hardest books I ever read. I can remember slogging through that book over a Christmas holiday. You gave it to me for Christmas one year. Um, might have been nineteen ninety nine. I'm not sure, but um, and it, you know it's canonical. You got to read it if you're going to read the like the great books. But it is hard, and yeah. you know, and there's no other way around it. That is a tough one. You know, I've always thought of might take it on again you know believe it or not but if i do i know i'm in for a, a fight that is a very tough book um so you mentioned earlier peter straub was a horror writer from like the 80s 90s 2000s uh <laughs> and i read a book by him in college that i really don't remember a single word of i all i remember is how boring i thought it was <laughs> and it was <laughs> It was really long. It was a horror novel, quote unquote. I don't I don't even remember the horror. It was called Coco. K-O-K-O. All I remember about it is that it had this guy, it had something to do with Vietnam. And a guy that was like a Vietnam veteran and was like haunted by some kind of horror. That's it. I don't remember a single other word of it. <laughs> I think that's one of the few and I was I was inspired by reading the um the the talisman, you know. And that Peter Straub was like a big horror writer, but that book, that book scared, that book bump, you know, was such a loser to me. I literally never read Peter Straub again. I think I, I, and he had a long career as a horror writer. I think I might've read one short story in like an anthology. But yeah. He came out with many more books and I was like, hell no, no moss. I don't remember anything about it. All I remember is that I think it's one of the few books, epic books that I just abandoned. I was like, you know, can't do it. <laughs> yeah. It was a. It was just. It was so god darn boring. Um, another book I read in my. I was determined to read this. 
in my early 20s. It was like a big deal at the time. Somebody who was fairly famous for writing big books, not always, but had written some very um, successful big books was Norman Mailer. You know, the, the one of the, you know, the brawny masculine novelists from the 20th century. You know, it was, uh, it was famous first book was called The Naked and the Dead, which was about World War Two. And then he read and then he wrote many, many other famous books. For some reason, he came out with a book in the early 90s. And I was absolutely determined to read this book. It was called Harlot's Ghost. And it was it was a novel uh, about the CIA, like a historical novel about the formation of the CIA. Man, that book was so boring. I, 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 it was like 1,300 pages. And I was absolutely determined. I was like, I'm reading this. I don't care how long it is. I got like 300, 400 pages into it. And I literally could not turn another page. It was so <laughs> darn boring. I was like, I can't. I can't. <laughs> so I always remembered that as like a huge book I tried to read and literally couldn't lift a page to go any further because I was like, this is, I can't do it. <laughs> it reminds me of, I, I have to bring this up in this discussion, a, a good buddy of ours from all the way back in high school who was reading another, uh, a book that would fit well into this discussion, which is Folk Cults Pendulum by oh, yeah. uh, Umberto Beckham, <laughs> Italian novelist who's also written some pretty darn long books. And that might be one of his longest. Very complex, uh, weird tale. But this guy, he literally, uh, let's say it was, um, 830 pages. This guy, <laughs> this guy got to page 800 and closed the book. <laughs> like that, that is that's a record for me personally to hear somebody getting that far in a book and not finishing when you're that. I mean, you can see the tape. You're about, you know, but he just he just left the course. That's so funny. But uh, anyway, this this book just doesn't deserve it. Yeah, I don't. I that was a a random segue or uh, uh, aside. But were you finished making the point you wanted to make? I I have a couple other ones I might bring up. But well, I was just going to bring up one more of the losers for me. And uh, I hate I hate to do this, um, but (laughs) another good another good example of a book of a long book that just didn't work for me at all was called The Casual Vacancy. And it was written by J.K. Rowling, who wrote the Harry Potter books. Yeah. Um, very famously, she she finished the Harry Potter books and then she got a contract to write, quote unquote, an adult novel, you know. Um, and she came up with this sort of epic tale. It was like 500, 600 pages because she's not very good at keeping it short. Um, and it was set in an English village and it had something to do with the local uh politics like you know the 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 local council um city council for lack of a better word whatever they call that in england and at the beginning of the book somebody dies and there's this little bylaw that says that the casual vacancy refers to an open spot on this council you know and like um there's a bylaw that says something about you know who can be filled by or whatever but it it went on forever and it was like this tale of you know sort of small town um, connivances and uh, manipulations and whatnot to, to, to take to take this position. And I thought it would be interesting because I had visited some really small towns in England on my honeymoon, but it was kind of dreary, fairly boring, went on forever. And then it got even worse 
because it, it it wasn't really well written. I just thought it was kind of dour. And then at the end, it got it. You know, I'm sorry for the spoiler, but um, it got it got really not just sort of dull, but really kind of really dark. And the plot, you know, because she's she's a good plotter, and she there was this whole mystery element of a missing child, and end up being about murdering children in the river and it was really you know somebody had like murdered these children in the river and it was like almost like uh it got i would say almost like too dark you know where it was like really dour you felt you only had this feeling that something was like wrong with with the person who wrote it it just really didn't work you know it was almost like it reminds me of thomas hardy you know in the famous novel jude the obscure there's like three kids that like hang themselves you know, three quarters of the way through the book. And you're like, what? (laughs) Like little kids, you know? And you're like, man, you know, okay. And the the guy comes home and there's two, it's two, including the title character or no, not it's his children. They just, they hang themselves in their bedroom. I was like little kids. I was like, what? You know? And JK Rowling's book, the casual vacancy kind of reminded me of that. Not in a good way. So Mm -hmm. that was a plus for me too, you know? Wow. So go ahead. Yeah. But, and then just for the rest of the episode here, John, I was going to say, and because I, maybe you're getting into this, I was going to sort of almost like a, you know, what do you call it? Like not a lightning round, but like a free for all at the end where everybody gets in the ring. So I was going to say like, you know, what other notable long books did you want to bring up for one reason or another that have stood out to you? Or do you want to take it in another direction? No, I'm, I'm, I have a couple that I would like to bring up just as kind of high recommendations. I, in our discussion here, I thought of a few that I've read fairly recently that really, it's the opposite, really were, you know, worth the time. Um, I do want to say that it's interesting to think like, you know, a lot of the books that I brought up, and we've talked about this kind of off air, but, you know, uh, you don't see a ton of really epic long books being written now. I mean, there are some, I guess there are some, um, you know, Marlon, yeah. Marlon James is someone he just wrote a book a couple of years ago. It was a really long book. And this is a book I actually read and struggled with about the, uh, about Jamaica and the killing of, or the assassination attempt on Bob Marley. And that was a really long immersive book, but I struggled with it. But um, anyway, that's another, another subject. You know, there aren't that many, that are being written now and what are some, you know, contemporary ones that maybe you've read and found really rewarding. Uh, we don't really have time to get into this one, but when you think about big, huge novels, I mean, you've got to at least mention Infinite Jest by David Foster Wallace, which was, yeah. a, I guess in the nineties or early two thousands, but in, you know, famous, maybe infamous, huge doorstop of a book that I know you read and it has, you know, I think the footnotes in that book are, are longer than most books that, he, right. that we normally read. And I'm not kidding, you know, so, but I can't speak to that one because I didn't read it, but um, I'll just mention really quickly. There are two, they're older books, but I've read them in the last year or two years and I found them really rewarding. One is one I read for a second time and it's in, and it's a book by Cormac McCarthy, but it's his longest book. It's called Sutri. And it's not one of his more discussed books, but I read it for a second time, maybe a year ago, and I found it's I found it to be really rich, 
and interesting. It, I, I think it's, I think I could say it's one of my favorite books by him. Um, mm. It's very different than, than almost anything he's read. It's just kind of this portrait of this vagabond named Sutri who lives in Knoxville and Cormac McCarthy in Knoxville, Tennessee. Cormac McCarthy lived there for a long time. And it's just, it's really this kind of immersive, you know, uh, look at, you know, living in this kind of Appalachian small city. And I think it's in like the 1950s or forties, but he lives in a dilapidated houseboat under a bridge. And there's this whole like underworld kind of of people who are either homeless or kind of like small time crooks or whatever that haunt the kind of, you know, dingy bars and, you know, hang out on, you know, on the river fishing. And, but it's a really uh, rich and kind of uh, complex tale about this this interesting he's like the son of a wealthy family but he eschews all his wealth and he lives on the river and it, there's just it's just really rich and colorful and kind of takes sort of a surrealistic turn towards the end of it i've i've found that book to be hugely enjoyable both times i read it and part of it is the writing um and that and the writing is it's Cormac mccarthy so you're gonna love it or or hate it but that's yeah. a really great longer book. And then another one I read recently that I have to mention, I think it's come up maybe once on this show, but the New York Review of Books Press, my favorite press, releases a lot of kind of books that used to be popular at one point and have gone out of print, but they kind of re-release them in shiny new editions. And there is a book that I think is from the early part of the 20th century called The Long Ships. And it's a historical kind of epic about Vikings. Oh yeah, I it, it's. I think it's a Swedish author. I'm not going to remember his name because it's it's a it's a name that might be hard to pronounce, but it's something like Frederick Bergson or something like that. But it's New York Review of Books Press. It's called The Long Ships, and this is just a rousing, immersive, you know, epic tale of of Vikings and you know, kind of some of the voyages that they go on. They go all the way to the Middle East in the book, uh, but it also has, a, you know, has a lot to do with their lives and their farms and kind of rivalries between local families. And it's, it's, it's action packed and it's, um, uh, you know, kind of spans the world at the time. It's just incredibly immersive and it was a great book. So that's a, that was a really fun longer book that I think deserves to be mentioned. Um, and so just those two are two others that come to mind and, you know, I mean, we didn't go too far. We were kind of running out of time. We didn't go too far into, you know, nonfiction versus fiction. But, um, you know, those are just a few other ones that I have to mention because they're high recommendations for me. Yeah, and I, I have a, three others I wanted to mention, too, that are just, I guess I would call the recommendations as well, just for different for different tastes. But these are long books I read that stayed with me sort of for one reason or another. Um, and the first one you'll recognize, and I think you could, you know, probably at least if you didn't recommend it, you'd at least know why, you know, know why I'm recommending it. So it's like I couldn't put it in my list of best experiences. Definitely not in my list of worst, but it's definitely a notable big book to read uh, by one of our favorite writers, John, for both of us. It's Dennis Johnson. And the book I'm thinking of is called Tree of Smoke. Oh, yeah. Another big book. Uh, this book was notable to me because I love Dennis Johnson's writing and we've talked about him before. And this it was a big, you know, hefty, epic novel about Vietnam um, and kind of the circumstances around the, 
the war there and what kind of led to it and um but it has more to do with the sort of uh intelligence side of things um with the like the central intelligence agency and stuff and like trying to gather information and it you know as you've commented before is one of the most aptly titled books <laughs> you know yeah. novels to come out of that area tree of smoke because uh that what i remember about this book was that it had this like latent and nebulous and sort of enigmatic power behind all of it um as it described the literally sort of the murky circumstances around the conflict there and, you know, how it was waged and, you know, it's cost on people's lives, but it was, it, it was difficult to kind of grasp as a whole, like many Dennis Johnson books are. Um, it touched on a lot of different themes, more existential, almost theological in nature. But yeah. I just remember it had this like potent brew of mystery and kind of power to it that always lingered with me and I, I could see myself reading that book again. So, um, tree of smoke. And then, uh, a long time ago, I read a book, but the, it sort of really stands out of my memory. I haven't talked to you about it much at all, John. There was a famous English novelist. He's best known for a book called the French Lieutenant's woman. Um, his John Fowles was his name. And he, um, and another book he was famous for was called the collector. But that, that was a short novel, and it was kind of like the almost like the precursor to Silence of the Lambs. It was kind of like a Buffalo Bill type character who kept like women in his basement, you know, like a really dark story wow. about, um, you know, kind of a insane sort of serial murder of young women um, called The Collector. That's kind of scary. But he was sort of a famous novelist in like the 70s and 80s. Um, from Great Britain, and he wrote one really epic novel called The Magus, M-A-G-U-S, that I read a long time ago, but I never quite forgot it. it. If you're into, like, trippy novels that are kind of, pardon my friend, like batshit in nature where you have absolutely no idea where it is going, um, it's a little bit like The Wicker Man, that movie The Wicker Man, John. Yeah. Because um, um, it has, like, kind of, it's set, I, I don't remember all much specifics about it, but it's a really long book. And it's, it's about this professor who gets invited to this remote Island. I think it's like near Cyprus or like off the coast of Greece or something. And he get he goes there on some kind of flimsy assignment. And when he gets there, he finds this like secret society that's like living there. And they wear like these bizarre masks and they have, and he gets kind of sucked into their, island in their life there's like no escape and he gets like drugged and he gets pulled into these strange rituals and it goes on forever but and it, it, it is the one of the trippiest and weirdest books that i've ever read i remember getting to the end of that and being like what in the name of god was that book <laughs> but it was like so it was like really dark and sort of magical and trippy and weird you know <laughs> so you're so you're saying you're saying that it's basically hot fuzz without the bumbling cops <laughs> yeah in a way yeah 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 it kind of is in a way oh i didn't i didn't think of that but uh, there may be a trace of the magus in hot it's the magus is kind of book that you can't read you're never really going to figure it out but it's sort of sort of hard to forget once you read it and it's another example of just the kind of book that i, I don't feel like people really take on anymore you know either reading wise or writing wise and then the last one i want to bring up just really quick um it was a 
you'll remember me talking about this from several years ago, but it stands out. I'm not sure if it like, I think it's like sort of just barely qualifies as a big book. I can't remember exactly how many pages it was. I think it's over 400, maybe not by much, but it's kind of a big book in scope. It was a book that was discovered like after 50 years. Uh, it was called Sweet Frances. And it was written by a woman named Irene Nemirovsky. And it's a survivor of the Holocaust. Um, I believe she was from, she was from France. And it's a, a novel that she wrote, uh, if I remember this right, sort of while she was, uh, she was Jewish, French, you know, she was from a French family that were Jewish. And it's about their escape from France and fleeing from the Nazis into Europe and trying to stay hidden. But this woman wrote this novel sort of while she was going through a similar um, escape and a period of being on the lam and trying to stay hidden from the Nazis. So she wrote the entire novel on these scraps of paper in very, very small print. And it stayed hidden in like somebody's attic for like 50 years and then was discovered half a century later and published to really um, tremendous acclaim. And I read that book when it was first published because there was a lot of stories about it. And I was just sort of curious about it. And I I was really amazed at how um, well-written the book was. It was just a girl, like a French girl from a, a Jewish French girl who I forget her background or what her, whether she was a teacher or not, or I, I don't really remember. But um, the book was really well-written um, under tremendous duress and really survived and survived for that long and was like an epic tale of, you know, just wartime Europe during the Second World War and trying to escape the Nazis. Wonderful book. It was really moving and worthwhile. And, and the circumstances around it coming into existence was really amazing also. So that's uh, that's a big book that's memorable. So, wow. yeah. Um, I have that book on my shelf. I haven't read it, but I, I do want to count. You know, it's funny. You mentioned John Fowles or Foles, however you say his name. Um, you, you must have gone through a period where you were, were impressed with him, as you just described, because I have you gave me both the French lieutenant's woman and the mages. Oh, and really? I had that. I had him on my list because I've, I have not read either book, but they're huge. Both of them are huge. They're like <laughs> doorstops of, of novels. So I, I actually wrote him down on my kind of long list because I thought, well, I haven't read it yet, but man, this is a guy who wrote some long books. I mean, they're ma- they're monumental, these books. Yeah. So I forgot I forgot that about the French Lieutenant's Woman, but like I remember giving it to you. I didn't know it was that long, but the Magus sure is. I mean it maybe it just feels and looks long, but uh Anyway, it's interesting that you gave me not one, but two from him that are very long. So uh, there must be something there that you found appealing or, but obviously you just mentioned the Magus, but, or Magus or however you say it. Um, But anyway, uh, you know, episode is called Go Big or Go Home. We are doing exactly that. We're going big. It's pretty long. Um, So I think we should kind of put a bow on this discussion, even though we could go on and on. What do you think? Yeah, yeah, no, definitely. All right, so take a quick break, and we'll come back and wrap things up. Okay.
All right. So like, why don't we, you know, try to quickly go through what we're going to be reading next and then we'll talk about uh, episode 35. Um, or is this 35? This is 35. Yeah. That, I'm just, I was testing you, man. Did I say 35? <laughs> did I say 35 at the outset? I hope I did. But anyway, in case there's any confusion, this is episode 35. We'll talk about episode 36. What are you going to be reading in the near future? Well, my my next book kind of ties into episode thirty six. So, do you want to say yours first, or is that is yours? Mine does as well. So, okay, why okay. Uh, why don't you talk about what we're going to do for episode thirty six, and then you can mention the book. All right. Yeah, we'll just uh, flip it around. So, episode thirty six um, is uh, going to be. I, I'm trying to remember the. Uh, oh crap! I'm trying to remember the. The phrase that I was using for like a, a potential title of the episode, and I just can't remember it right now. But anyway, um, so we'll come up with the title at a later point. The next episode, we're, we're very excited about this. It's going to be books uh, with a Western theme. So books about the West, the American West we're talking about. Um, and it can it can be anything related to the American West, you know, not, not necessarily cowboys or what have you. But our landscape in, the, in our region in this particular episode is going to be about the American West. So there's all kinds of directions we can go in with that. And to that to that end, um, my next book is it's kind of a famous novel about the American West and set in the West. Um, it's kind of like one of these one hit wonders, at least as far as I know. I've always heard of this book, but I never heard of anything else written by this particular writer. The book was published in 1940, and it, it's called The Oxbow Incident. Oxbow yeah. hyphenated Oxbow um, incident. It was written by somebody named Walter von Tillenberg Clark. I don't know anything about him. I know he wrote some other books, and I know my humble co-host here has read the book. I have not. Um, John, you read it and you were very impressed with it. And I don't really know much else about it except it's set in like the old west, and it's, there's some kind of conflict over something. Um, and it's, but it's a pretty famous novel. And is there anything that just to kick the ball over to you? Cause that's my next book. Is there anything you remember about it or want to say? Well, yeah, I, I, I remember being, and it's been a long time since I read it, but I remember being really impressed with that book. I kind of, I don't want to say too much about it. I don't remember a ton, but I'm, it sort of sets up a situation. And then the rest of the book is kind of like sort of a moral dilemma around that situation okay, um, and flavored by sort of, you know, shall we say like the way justice worked in the American West in the frontier West, you know, when, you know, civilization hadn't quite, you know, been firmly established out there yet. So, you know, uh, you know, this is fertile material that's been plumbed in many places, like from the show Deadwood to, uh, the Western show from HBO to many other novels and books, but yeah, it's that kind of a story. There's a setup, something happens. There are people who call for justice and it kind of goes from there. But I remember thinking it was a really interesting and rich book kind of on a moral level, as well as being okay. a, a great Western. So yeah, I was really impressed with that book. It's been a long time. So, you know, hopefully I would have the same impression, but um I'll just segue, you know, along the same lines. So, you know, I'm reading a book that's sort of preparation for this next episode as well. And it's also an older book that I've been meaning to read for a long time. 
And I mentioned the NYRB press. This book is also re-released by the same press um, a while back, but it's a book called Warlock by a writer named Oakley Hall. Oh, and all, wow. I know, all I know about it, and it, it actually sort of like it's sort of convenient, you know, it, it looks to me like it could almost have been discussed in this episode we just did because it's a pretty thick book. I'm going to say it's at least 500 pages, but it uh, takes on, you know, one of the, one of the famous quote unquote myths or stories from the American West, as most people know in one form or another, uh, is the story of Wyatt Earp in Tombstone, Arizona. And, um, you know, this has been kind of adapted and, you know, made into movies and stories numerous times. Figure of why we even got Winona Herb. Oh, did we? Wow, great. Yeah. <laughs> like it, Enola Holmes, you know, and uh, yeah. <laughs> we really needed, we really needed both, by the way. I'm so glad that they made <laughs> yeah. those. Yeah. Um, but yeah, you know, Wyatt Earp is one of the most, you know, famous kind of mythical figures. I'm not even sure he's an actual historical figure. He may be um, from the American West. And this story, apparently this long novel is based on that whole sort of incident um, at the OK Corral, uh, Tucson, Arizona, and Wyatt Earp and his gang. Um, and, and it's sort of based on all that. But that's all I know. But it's a it's a long kind of you know well known or it was well known at the time it was made into a film uh, I think back in the fifties but it's been on my shelf for a long time never read it so I'm looking forward to reading that sort of a classic American western but yeah like I've been thinking in my head Jude like like you know a working title for me anyway I don't know if this is what you were thinking of but is like you know, the BXC goes west you know is essentially. Yeah what this next episode is going to be, whether it's called that or not, you know, or into the West or whatever, but that's what we're doing in the next episode. We're going to go West. We're going to explore kind of the, the whole mythology around the American West um, from a number of angles, as we always do. And I think it should be a lot of fun. Um, kind of one of our, you know, for lack of a better word, you know, genre based episodes, but uh, we'll take it into all kinds of different nooks and crannies. So that's going to be a lot of fun. Yeah, definitely. It was it was into the West. That's what I was trying to think of. Into the West. Okay. Well, so we'll, we'll, we'll figure that out. <laughs> you know, hopefully after next week's after the next episode, we'll we'll have earned our spurs. You know, and uh, you know, get the tin star, so to speak. Right. Um, but that's that should be fun. So we're doing that next, and uh, I think that unless you have anything else you want to say, I think that wraps it wraps it up for episode thirty five, not thirty four. Um, that's about it. Yeah, no, yep, that'll do it. Uh, good, great discussion, and yeah, we'll come back and head into the West. Sounds good, man. All right, uh, enjoy the rest of your weekend. We'll talk later. All right, take care. Thanks for listening, everyone.